Russian attacks hit Ukraine's port and grain facilities. A lot of buildings around uh, Odessa port and port infrastructure itself and warehouses in the port were either heavily damaged or destroyed. Ukrainian officials advanced steps to create a database for compensating victims of Russia's aggression. For Russia to pay for damages is not merely an ethical and moral imperative. It is a legal obligation under the international law principle of state responsibility. And later in the program, how comics in the U.S. are doing their part to help Ukraine. Today is Monday, September 25th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Russian attacks continue to target port and grain storage facilities in Ukraine. Officials say a Russian drone and missile strike near Odessa damaged port infrastructure, a grain silo, and an abandoned hotel as attacks on Ukraine killed four civilians and wounded 13 in the past day in other parts of the country. I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kyiv, who provided us with an update. Anna, Ukraine's port and grain storage facilities still heavy targets. Another tough night, uh, particularly for Odessa and region. Russian forces fired drones and missiles targeting Odessa and particularly port infrastructure. I can confirm at this point that Ukrainian air defense reported that alone Odessa Odessa and the Odessa region were targeted by 19 drones, 12 caliber missiles, and two hypersonic Onyx missiles. What's interesting is that Onyx is a missile that normally used in order to target a uh, warship. But this time, Russian forces kind of reworked those missiles uh, to use them for land attack. Ukrainian air defense destroyed all of the drones and uh, 11 out of 12 caliber missiles. Onyx missiles hit their destinations. Uh, and we have confirmation that a lot of buildings uh, around uh, Odessa port and port infrastructure itself and warehouses uh, in, in the port were either heavily damaged or destroyed. Also, the hotel building, which is not operating at this point, but it was also heavily damaged. At the same time, locals report about residential areas damaged by the debris of the missiles and uh, a lot of residential buildings were also affected. And I understand there are more details coming out now about Ukraine, the targeting of the attack on Russia, Sevastopol. Yeah, so as we discussed last week, uh, Ukrainian armed forces uh, attacked uh, Sevastopol and particularly the headquarters of the Russian Navy in Sevastopol. And um, now we have new information confirmed by the Ukrainian side that at least 34 officers of the Russian of the Russian armed forces were, um, were killed during this attack, including the commander of the Black Sea Fleet of the Russian Federation. And this is quite a big news. Uh, and uh, of course, it's one of the, well, so far, one of the most successful attacks by the Ukrainian armed forces, considering the consequences of this attack. Also, a Ukrainian side confirmed that at least 105 Russian servicemen who were present during the attack in the building were injured. It sounds like some of the Abrams tanks have arrived in Ukraine. Now that's good news. Yes, uh, President Zelensky just confirmed that 
uh, Abrams tanks uh, are soon to be the part of the battlefield. And this comes just uh, after President Zelensky met with uh, President Joe Biden and Joe Biden confirmed as well that Abrams tanks are coming to Ukraine. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. Meanwhile, Russian officials said Monday the country's air defenses shot down Ukrainian drones over Kursk and Bryansk regions of Russia, as well as over the Black Sea and the Russia-occupied Crimean Peninsula. The Kursk regional governor said several houses and an administrative building were damaged, but that there were no reports of casualties. A special rapporteur tasked by the United Nations on assessing the human rights situation in Russia has submitted her first report to the UN Human Rights Council. The report paints a picture of repression against dissidents, civil society, and political activism that has reached unprecedented levels since Russia's invasion. I spoke with Lisa Schlein in Geneva for details on the report's findings. It's a really harsh, damning report. I would say it's kind of like a horror show, what she says, that repression against dissidents and civil and political rights in Russia has reached unprecedented levels since the invasion of Ukraine. Repression is something that is not a new phenomenon in Russia. It has been occurring over the past two decades. But she says that since this aggression by Russia in Ukraine, it has culminated in many ways. And the uh, government has been criminalizing what they perceive to be uh, dissent and the lack of support for the war by censoring the internet and all kinds of media, independent media, also through state sponsorship propaganda and state-controlled information. So basically, anyone who speaks out in any capacity is in danger. Yes, absolutely. The numbers are quite extraordinary. What the report says is that there have been, since the war started in Ukraine and uh, up to June of this year, more than 20,000 people have been detained for participating in what are largely peaceful anti-war protests and uh, that the government has prosecuted more than 600 criminal lawsuits against so-called anti-war activity. And uh, not only that, but she has received a lot of credible information, a lot of credible reports of uh, people who have been detained, uh, being subjected to torture and ill treatment. And there are allegations of rape and other sexual violations which have been committed by law enforcement officials against both women and men in detention. It's interesting, too, because this is the first time, never before, has the council authorized a rights expert to examine rights issues in one of the permanent members of the UN Security Council, which Russia is. You're absolutely right. Until uh, this has happened, uh, Russia was one of several countries who are considered to be so-called untouchable countries. These also include China and countries like Saudi Arabia. These are countries that have been known for a long time as being huge violators of human rights. And yet they have been considered so powerful that they were, as I said, untouchable. They never did come up before the Human Rights Council for any kind of investigation. And I have to tell you that no matter how powerful these countries are, the last thing they want is to have their records put up for show in front of the world like this. Lisa Schlein reporting for VOA from Geneva.
You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Ukrainian and European officials have taken yet another step in the creation of an international compensation mechanism that will serve as a register of evidence and claims for damage, loss, or injury caused by Russia's aggression in Ukraine. I spoke with Irina Mudra, Ukraine's Deputy Minister of Justice, who was in New York last week for the UN General Assembly to talk more about the progress being made. This is a significant step on the path to reparation, is it not? In a month and a half, it will be one year since since the anger adopted the resolution and formally recognized that Russia must pay war reparations to Ukraine by creating an international compensation mechanism for the damage caused by this full-scale invasion. And today we already have the first element of this comprehensive compensation mechanism, which was proposed by Ukraine and supported by international world community. The International Register of Damage has been created by the enlarged partial agreement uh, under the auspices of Council of Europe. The register will serve as a record in documentary form of evidences and claims information on damage, loss and injury caused in the territory of Ukraine by the Russian Federation's internationally wrongful acts in or against Ukraine. To date, 43 states and the European Union are the parties to the register. In addition to European countries, the United States and Japan and Canada are already members of this register. Negotiations to involve other countries from all continents into the International Register of Damage are underway. And on the fields of this high-level week at United Nations, I held a couple of bilateral meetings to encourage states from global south to join this register. Once these people are registered, these states, what does that mean? The register serves as a database, as a record of all eligible claims for compensation of damage, loss and injury, as well as the evidences underlying such claims. It will provide a platform into which the claimants in Ukraine can submit their claims and evidences and will verify that the claims are eligible for inclusion into the register. Based on three main criteria, damage must have occurred in the territory of Ukraine on or after 24th of February 2022, and it must be linked with the Russian aggression. So the register is called upon to receive and process information on claims of damage and evidence, categorize, classify and organize such claims, assess and determine the eligibility of these claims and record the eligible claims for the purposes of their future examination and adjudication. But the register will not adjudicate the claims uh, itself, will not make the assessment of the amount of compensation to be paid. This will be done by a claims commission, which is envisaged to be the next step. Any idea of the estimated amount of losses that have been incurred so far from Russia's invasion? Or will this be an ongoing process as more, obviously, more losses are incurred? Uh, Well, starting from the 24th of February, uh, Ukraine is facing its most serious challenges since the achieving of independence in 1991. And the ongoing war has already resulted in significant loss of life, unprecedented damages and losses. According to Ukraine, rapid damage and needs assessment made jointly by the World Bank and the government of Ukraine and European Union as of February 2023, reconstruction and recovery needs of Ukraine are estimated about 
about $411 billion. Pursuant to the late, latest assessment made by the Kiev School of Economics as of June 2023, the total amount of direct damage to Ukraine's infrastructure caused to the war exceeded $150 billion. Of the total direct damage, the largest share is the loss of houses, nearly $60 billion, including $1 billion in damage from flooding and destruction of residential buildings. And in 2023, Ukraine already needs $14.1 billion for priority reconstruction and recovery investments, rebuilding infrastructure, which was heavily damaged by Russia, housing and transportation, economic development of communities, job creation, business opportunities in the liberated areas. It will support individuals, companies, farmers, the government infrastructure, and I'm assuming also environmental destruction, such as the Kohovka Dam situation? Yeah, more than 2,500 cases of environmental damage caused by Russian aggression has already been recorded. And the Prosecutor General's office is investigated 14 cases of ecocide. The detonation of Kohovka hydroelectric power station on the 6th of June 2023 was the most grievous international crime of ecocide, an environmental weapon of mass destruction since the start of this full-scale invasion of Ukraine. As the result, more than 40 towns and villages and one of the world's most valuable agricultural regions were destroyed. And the number of ecosystems destroyed or pushed to the brink of extinction is measured in thousands. Ukraine's environment suffered losses amounting to 2 trillion grivnas caused by Russian blowing up of Kahovka hydroelectric sta- uh, station. And Russia's aggression against Ukraine has already caused more than $57 billion in environmental damage. And of course, it's not final figure. It's th- still not final yet. The greatest damage to the environment is caused in the territories where active hostilities are ongoing. Is the compensation funding expected to come from sanctioned Russian assets? First, I have to remind that Ukraine has proposed to the international community the establishment of a comprehensive reparation mechanism. This one-of-a-kind compensation mechanism would consist of three key elements. The International Register, which we just mentioned, a claims commission, and a compensation fund. Ukraine is pretty confident that the main source for financing the compensation fund is the blocked and frozen assets of Russian Federation and Russian sanctioned individuals. It is Ukraine's fundamental view that the issue of assets is an integral part of the reparations mechanism proposal and all the assets that will be confiscated or proceeds from the active management or liquidation of such assets should be placed into a compensation fund that is a part of reparations mechanism and used for payment of reparations awards to the victims of Russian aggression. As of today, due to sanctions imposed by the European Union, Union and other G7 countries, more than $30 billion of Russian private assets and nearly, according to different estimations, nearly $300 billion of sovereign Russian assets have been immobilized. And an obvious issue is sovereign immunity as obstacle that would nor- normally protect these assets. But for Russia to pay for damages is not merely an ethical and moral imperative. It is a legal obligation under the international law 
principle of state responsibility. Since Russia has committed egregious breaches of international law and owes this obligation to make full reparations to Ukraine and victims, it would be proportionate and non-punitive and it would be restorative to temporary cease observing sovereign immunity and make Russia pay reparations by seizing sovereign assets. And currently, Ukraine, together with other our foreign partners, we are discussing a proper legal basis to make it possible to use such sovereign assets for confiscation. So the situation is the same with the private assets of sanctioned persons involved in supporting and financing the war. Private property in many countries is well protected, and we are also looking for appropriate legal mechanism to ensure that the private funds are transferred to compensate victims of armed aggression. And when discussing the confiscation assets which belong to Russia, various options are being considered, including investment instruments. These assets may be maintained and actively managed in order to generate return that could be also used for the purposes of reparations. Or such assets can be used as a collateral or guarantee to raise funds in financial markets of, or other ways. So we, we, we discuss different options with regards to the sovereign assets and private as well. So what are the next steps? So the, the next step, the second and important step after the register, Ukraine together with the International Register of Damage for Ukraine will soon propose a draft of such an international instrument that should be served as a legitimate basis for a creation of the compensation mechanism and confiscation of Russian assets. We also work with our foreign partners and call them to look for solutions on their national legislative field. It is also vital to develop and adopt the relevant national pieces of legislation on the confiscation of assets of Russia and persons subject to sanctions in order to provide their further transfer to the international compensation fund. So there will be an international instrument uh, in the form of international treaty, but there should be also the relevant amendments to the national legislation of those states who hold the frozen assets and uh, would be supposed to transfer them into the compensation. We firmly believe that international community shall act without leniency to hold Russian regime accountable for atrocities and destruction. Realistically, what are you hoping for in terms of a timeline for Ukrainian reparations and how the country will realistically begin to rebuild if Russia is still causing so much destruction? Or is this a timeline you can't really... All of us perfectly understand that Russian Federation will never, at least with this leadership, voluntarily pay off all damage and reparations. So to this end, it is extremely extremely important to implement our concept of international compensation mechanism as soon as possible. Today, it is strategically important that the policy of foreign states in the direction towards the confiscation of Russian sanctioned assets is coordinated with the national interests of Ukraine in ensuring reparation payments to the victims. And Ukraine, on many various uh, international arena and venues, is actively calling other states for the promotion and support of the real steps in the further creation and implementation of the international compensation mechanism for reparation in order to collect all these damages. Well, it's a monumental task, and um, it's just amazing how Ukrainians continue to stay hopeful and press forward. That's right, and that is why 
I'm today here during the high-level week because I know that how important it is to meet with the states to explain them. Many states are afraid of precedents, you know, those big states which have these concerns. We have to explain that there could be guardrails put uh, in order to limit the case uh, of Russia so that it, they are not used as precedents. So it's hard work, but we are doing this. year ago, there was a big reluctancy even to hear about this. Now the situation is completely changed. We already discussed the concrete steps and uh, legal uh, determinations and formulations how to do this. But it will require time, of course. Thank you again so much for taking the time to explain that to our listeners. Thank you, Laurie. Ukraine Deputy Minister of Justice, Irina Mudra. Pope Francis has labeled the weapons industry as being a key driver of Russia's war in Ukraine and the martyrdom of Ukraine's people, Associated Press correspondent Lawrence Brooks reports. The Pope made the comments during brief remarks to reporters while returning home from Marseille in France. Non farsi illusioni che Francis acknowledged he was frustrated that the Vatican's diplomatic initiatives hadn't borne much fruit, but said that arms dealers are more interested in continuing Russia's war. He described the paradox that was keeping Ukraine a martyred people, that at first many countries gave Ukraine weapons, but now were taking them away. Francis appeared to be referring to Poland's recent announcement that it was no longer transferring arms to Ukraine. A Polish government spokesperson later clarified that the country was now only giving supplies of ammunition and armaments that had previously been agreed. I'm Lawrence Brooks. Watching the news of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, American comic book editor Scott Dunbeer says he felt compelled to help. So he reached out to dozens of comic book professionals to create the anthology Comics for Ukraine, Sunflower Seeds, to raise funds to provide emergency supplies and services to Ukrainians impacted by the war. Genia Delo has this report. American comic book writer and letterer John Lehman contributed to the recently released benefit anthology, Comics for Ukraine, Sunflower Seeds. Here, Detective Tony Chu, a cop who solves crimes by receiving psychic impressions from food, saves a cat. While Lehman says he drew his themes for this contribution from the current situation in Ukraine, he didn't want his overall story to be too dark. Basically, there's just a lesson here to help those who need it. I mean, that's, you, you know, I, I didn't want to get too political. I don't want to take pot shots. I didn't want to have a bad guy. It's just a nice character piece. And it's a very, very sweet story, which, you know, for a book like this, I, I wanted to do something a little uplifting. The 120-page anthology is made up of 15 stories created by more than three dozen comic book writers, artists, colorists, letterers, designers, and editors. Some of the biggest names in the industry who volunteered their time and talent. The book is the brainchild of Scott Dumbier, an award-winning comic book editor. It was 18 months ago that Dumbier, who was 
watching the news coming out of Ukraine, felt compelled to do something. I mean, there's a long history in comics of standing up for the underdog. I mean, that's really what comics are about, fighting for the underdog. And so that's what we're trying to do. And, you know, I wish this would be something that would make a huge difference. Sales proceeds are going directly to Ukraine through Operation USA, an international relief agency, according to its president, Richard Walden. In addition to money, we sent first aid supplies because they're training medics on the Poland side of the border. So initially, they were thought it would be combat medics. I said, come on, we're a charity. Don't make it combat. Just say medics. And wherever there's a need. Comics for Ukraine, Sunflower Seeds, was released in July. A year ago, the project had already raised $100,000, Dunbier said. By the end of 2023, he hopes to be able to send an additional 100000 to Ukraine. Jenny Adzulo for VOA News, San Diego. And that'll do it for us today, but stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Bozette, D.C.